0: You're listening to the
1: RSA Conference Podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's RSA Conference Podcast, Perspectives on the Times, with some of our RSA Conference Advisory Board members. This is Casey Zirkus, Content Strategist with RSA Conference. And what's exciting to me about today's podcast is that we have the opportunity to connect as both people and professionals, which is so important for everyone to be doing right now. I'm excited to be joined today by two members of our advisory board Todd Inskeep and Caroline Wong. Todd and Caroline, if you would take a moment just to introduce yourselves to our listeners. Sure.
2: Hi, my name is Caroline Wong. I am the Chief Strategy Officer at Cobalt.io, a pen test as a service company. As our Chief Strategy Officer, I actually oversee both security as well as our human resources function. So it's a particularly interesting time for me to kind of see these two functions and teams come together uh, and really partner to try and protect our businesses and our people during this time.
0: I'm Todd Inskeep. I lead part of the practice in our commercial consulting practice at Booz Allen Hamilton. I have the opportunity to work with a a variety of companies. Most recently, I've been focused on OT security and overall security strategy with a couple of clients in the uh, pharmaceutical and life sciences space. I enjoy working with a variety of companies on a variety of projects to help build and mature information security programs and really help companies get the most out of the investments that they've made in technology by building out the processes and helping people get the skills that they need to be successful. The fun time to be involved in this right now uh, because there are so many changes happening with people trying to make adjustments in their lives and their work life balance. Um, as we all work through this current situation with coronavirus.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you both for being here and joining me today. I know everyone's schedule is really complicated right now, and as you said, we're trying to find that balance. So I really appreciate you taking the time to not only connect with me, but to reach out to the RSA conference community. So I wanted to start just by asking each of you just, taking a moment to check in with you personally to see how you're doing and how you're handling that balance of work-life in the current situation.
0: Hey, thank you very much for asking, Casey. Uh, I'm doing well. The family and I are are getting along well. We've been um, happy to work together as a family through these times, and I'm personally lucky that my uh, son works at one of the grocery stores, and so he's actually uh, been busy stocking shelves, um, and that means he's occasionally got the opportunity to pick up a few supplies for the house. Um, <laughs> it's also been interesting to kind of see the wildlife in my backyard. I'm getting to watch the birds migrate north, and it's interesting to watch what's coming through uh, from where I live in North Carolina right now as spring and summer start to shape up.
1: That is really cool. Caroline, how about you?
2: Thank you so much for asking. You know, I'll be totally honest. For me, every day is sort of a balance between anxiety and gratitude. So, on mm-hmm. one hand, I look at and see what's happening to so many different people and so many different families right now, and that's very difficult. Um, At the same time, I can recognize that I myself am in an extremely fortunate situation. My loved ones are healthy. My family is together at this time. Um, I have a job where I can work from home. uh, And I've actually been working from home for a while. So it's a relatively small change for me uh, in some ways personally. Um, You know, I read a statistic in the Wall Street Journal the other day that said that 7% of Americans have the ability to work from home in some capacity. And because I've worked my entire career in tech, and because I spent so many years in the San Francisco Bay Area, I realized that my perception was really biased. And the fact that I can work from home, the fact that my company, which makes security software, can continue to operate Relatively as normal um, is something that I'm extraordinarily grateful for. So it's just one of those things, you know. Uh, I've been missing uh, family. You know, I had hoped to take my family to visit our in-laws in Indiana uh, to visit cousins and and my mother-in-law, and we had to cancel that trip, and that was such a bummer. Uh, but at the same time, I've got uh, good friends in San Francisco who recently hosted. A Zoom birthday party, uh, for a friend of mine. We went to high school together. And it's like, well, if they had hosted that party in person, I don't live in San Francisco anymore, so I wouldn't have been able to attend, but because now it's becoming normal to host virtual parties on Zoom, I was actually able to attend. So there are you know, these funny little gems, these little flowers um, to, to be able to recognize and be grateful for, despite the, for me, what's really unavoidable anxiety. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I think that 7% statistic is kind of amazing because being in the business we're in, in information security, even when I worked at a bank, even in a, when I worked in, in other places, there was so much opportunity to work remotely. Um, I, I think about the intelligence organizations, the government situations where where people have to come together to work in a SCIF, um, some of the other situations where where you can't do the job by yourself and you can't do it remotely, I worry how this is going to affect those jobs both over the next few months and, and over the long term as we start to get used to some, some new normal after this. Yeah, It's great how, how much Zoom is letting us adjust to things, but I think it's important to remember that we're not going to go back to normal we're going to adjust to some new normal after this.
1: Absolutely, and that 7% statistic really stuck in my head when thinking about some of the things that I wanted to talk with you guys about today, because one of the questions that I had was the fact that so many organizations are having to transition to having their employees work remotely. And for me too, quite honestly, I expected, well, that's got to be relatively easy because I have the ability to work at home. And like you said, it's very sort of, you know, short-sighted, right? So, Caroline, what are the security implications for those organizations that didn't have this plan to provide or to secure a remote workforce? Does it make it harder for their security teams to secure applications, networks, data, everything, anything?
0: Uh,
2: you know, right now, I think what's really showing up as a strength is adaptability. So that, you know, for an organization that planned its security around employees being in a certain physical location, having access to certain networks, you know, using certain devices with certain physical security controls, you know, taking a person from an environment like that and putting them into a home where, You know, some organizations have, you know, centrally managed devices and others don't. You know, so some organizations are doing things like deciding, well, would we prefer that you work on a personal computer that we don't manage, that we have no visibility into your updates or your patch status, Um, you know, or would we actually rather you wait a while because right now we're having supply chain problems getting you A new laptop, you know, shipped to your home. Um, And that's a really interesting risk management and business decision. Now there are a few takeaways that I want to share that I think applies across the board. You know, if you were working from home and you've been doing that for 10 years, or if you've never worked at home and all of a sudden you are, here are a few things that I think security leaders ought to keep in mind. Um, Number one, is social engineering we all know about social engineering and I think right now what's happening is there's an opportunity for malicious actors to take advantage of this anxiety and of this urgency and of all the big emotions that are going on right now so how do I know if I'm communicating with someone online if they are really who they say they are um, we mm-hmm. have been facing this problem for a long time now, this is not a new thing. But, you know, now that we're all online, maybe more than we used to, um, you know, do we have some of those controls set up to make sure that, you know, when you receive an email that claims to be from the IRS saying that your refund check is available. You know, how do you know if that's legit or not? Um, And I think there is a renewed opportunity for security leaders to talk to their organizations and really stress the importance of, you know, here's what you can expect from a legitimate organization. You know, if somebody's asking you for something and there is a sense of urgency, then it's very possible that there's deception involved. Um, Another big one is, insider threats so right now you know we've got this health and safety pandemic we've also got this huge economic impact um and for folks who are lucky enough to have jobs for folks who are lucky enough to be able to work from home and do jobs those folks are also don't worry that they're going to lose their jobs. And when people are worried about losing their jobs, sometimes they do different sorts of things, like steal data from their companies. Um, And so now is a time when, you know, a lot of organizations are often on the lookout for external threats. Now is a time to just make sure that, you know, you've got some logging in place. Maybe you've got your data loss prevention solution in place. And maybe you are an organization, maybe you are a security leader at an organization that needs to do layoffs. Make sure that you've got proper uh, checks and balances in your termination procedures. So that's another really interesting one. And then the last one I wanna mention, to ensure that as a security leader, you have a seat at the table I think that in times like this it's most important because as security leaders we can only adapt when we know what direction the business is going in and so knowing what's going to happen can really help us to sort of pivot uh and get ready um it's a little bit funny that in my current role I actually I'm overseeing both human resources and security so it's pretty easy for me to meet with myself and have a little chat and say mm. okay Caroline you know what's the plan here you know how are we going to communicate to folks that we're working from home for example you know through the end of June and we've decided to restrict business travel and you know we're canceling all in person events and you know I can turn to myself and say okay Caroline so what are the security implications of that um, but you know for <laughs> so that's kind of a, a silly little thing right there Um, But I, I do think that right now, it is actually
0: super important for security leaders
2: to have strong partnerships with our HR business
1: leaders. Absolutely. Todd, I wanted to take one of the points that Caroline made and turn that to you to see if you could talk a little bit about how working remotely changes information security governance.
0: Yeah, working remotely has some interesting implications for governance, Carolyn mentioned, you start to think a little bit differently about where are people actually doing the work. Who else is able to see that? Not that people shouldn't have trusting relationships with their friends and family members that are are staying at uh, safe distancing with them or sheltering in place with them, but it is important to think about what other conversations are, are they having going on in the background, What gets communicated from your conversations uh, to the conversations that others in the house are having? Um, Where are things displayed? And how is information being used? The bigger implications are really with the network and the network governance pieces of how does that information get from the corporation out to that remote worker? A lot of times, people are using VPNs. Uh, We've seen some interesting situations. Companies that hadn't planned to support VPN access for everyone are now having to rapidly expand those services. Um, The configurations for VPN can be very important and very critical. A lot of organizations try and optimize bandwidth management by using VPNs in a capability where you can use local access to cable service that you might have for access to sites like CNN, but require you to route through the corporate firewall for access to other things or for internal access. Um, That can create a situation where that local laptop now becomes a, a port and an entryway into the internal network. And of course, we see many flat networks out there. Um, so that when that one outside machine gets compromised, it can be used in a variety of ways by an adversary as an entree into the larger corporate network. Um, it's important from a governance standpoint to have those close relationships that Caroline mentioned. She really understand What's getting opened up? How is it getting opened up? And what's the duration of that? Depending on where you are, we're two to four weeks into kind of sheltering in place. And that means maybe some of those initial things that you did to just get people back to work or just keep things moving are now starting to to turn into, okay, we're going to do this for a, a month more, two months more. We're really talking about June, July, August, when things may start to go back to some normal. Now you wanna start thinking about things that we made as quick decisions to get people going. What were some of the security implications of those? And can we pull some of that back, tighten some things up? Maybe we need to wait for people to get a corporate access or a corporate computer that's locked down and configured differently. But you need to start thinking about what policy changes were made to get people moving that now you need to go back and revisit. Could be VPN configurations. Could be the way you're using passwords and multi-factor authentication. Could be some of your information protection and classification. Could be some of how you're using the tools that you've built out to be able to monitor when that computer at Todd's house is being used in a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. I might not have been worried about what time it was when Todd logged on because Todd was traveling around the world and often uh, came in from weird remote places. But now Todd's always in North Carolina. And so if there's activity from Todd's computer coming in later in the evening, 3 a.m., It might be a sign that there's something else going on on Todd's computer that isn't really Todd using it. It's a variety of policies, configuration changes that you can look at now that you've gotten over that initial hurdle as we start to settle in for the long term.
1: Yeah. Great tips. Thank you. Um, For both of you, I've talked with so many industry professionals over the past few weeks, and One challenge that many people are trying to work through is this disruption to the supply chain. So can you address, we'll start with you Caroline, can you address the major concerns of what to do if your mission critical services that you rely on actually go down?
2: Yeah, so what we've done is, first of all, we've made a list of those mission critical services, trying to figure out exactly how, if any of them were to become unavailable, how that would impact our business operations we've also gone through a process of reaching out to the vendors on that list and creating contingency plans either in partnership with those teams or independently of those teams and make sure that folks understand what is the plan how can we quickly adopt to minimize the impact internally Um, another thing that's not exactly a supply chain planning exercise, but is actually a bit more of a business continuity exercise is, you know, in March, our management team was meeting and saying, do we come up with a plan for if our workforce were to be down by 20 percent? And in our case, I don't mean layoffs. I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where that's not what I'm talking about. And we actually had one of our finance leaders write a message to the entire company, you know, we're not doing any coronavirus related layoffs. And so for us, that was actually one of the things that we intentionally decided to share so that amongst other things, uh, we would hopefully reduce some of that potential insider threat. Um, but what we are doing is we're saying to teens, look, what if someone becomes available because they've got a family with kids and two parents are working from home? What if you know the parent who works for our organization is really only able to work at 50% capacity because he and his wife are basically taking shifts in between working and providing care for their child. You know, alternatively, what happens if some of our folks become sick? What happens if some of our folks are well, but are put in a position where they need to care for someone who's sick? Um, We put out a message very early that said, look, if you or someone that you care about gets sick, we want your priority to be taking care of yourself and taking care of that person. Do not worry about work. And by the way, we need to make sure that if there's anything that you're doing in your job that no one else knows how to do, that that is communicated so that we're kind of building in some resiliency uh, into the organization and just making sure that you know we have checked uh, and made sure that we don't have any single points of failure.
1: Nice. I think one of the things that has just come to the forefront is how much empathy and humanity is being displayed through organizations. It's really, you know, you speak to that point. Todd, did you have anything to add to that question? Yeah, I think on two fronts.
0: One is I couldn't be more proud of of what Booz Allen has done for employees and and the workforce uh, around the whole COVID nineteen problem. We've been really fortunate to be able to help employees to recognize and, and walk through and provide support in a in a number of ways, as well as supporting the larger communities where we have big concentrations of employees, particularly in the in the Washington DC area. And I think it, it highlights and, and Caroline started to highlight as well, the variety of scenarios that that people start to find themselves in from um, really only being able to work at different or reduced hours because of the childcare burden uh, that we're having to take on in in various families. Um, The care burden that we're going to pick up as more people get infected, as more people spend time sick and, and trying to heal through this, It is amazing what different companies are doing, and I think it's fantastic how empathetic so many companies have been in trying to make adjustments and supporting their employees during this this very trying time. On the supply chain front, I think this is testing and, and expanding the ways that companies need to think about their supply chains and their resilience. Caroline mentioned, if if you're the only person who knows some aspect of your job, what do we need to do to start making sure that there are other people who can do things and and other people who can help support, both to ease the burden and the anxiety that we talked about earlier for some of those individuals that are in unique positions, but also to make sure that the company can continue to operate and, and go on as people need to deal with these various situations. Um, Carolyn mentioned resilience just a second ago, and I think this is really pointing out some of the shortfalls in the way that companies have thought about disaster recovery and and resilience. We've been very focused on natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, floods, earthquakes, and those sorts of things, and we haven't thought enough about other kinds of events, natural disasters that might occur in this scenario of a global pandemic um, is one that I think we're going to need to consider more frequently as we go forward. Um, There are many more ways, whether it's a cyber event, a global pandemic, or a traditional kind of natural disaster, that companies need to think about in planning their supply chain and thinking about how they maintain continuity of operations for all of the critical things that any company provides, every company does something that's important to our economy, um, to our lifestyles and our our global way of life. Every company needs to be able to think about how they can continue operations in some of these different scenarios.
1: Absolutely. Speaking of different companies and different organizations, I did want to ask each of you, and Todd, we'll start with you, what have people in your networks been saying, and how are CISOs or heads of security dealing with the mental stress brought on by the current challenges?
0: It's really interesting to see the variety of things that are happening. Companies have, have, of course, adopted a lot of Zoom meetings, We've been doing a lot of virtual happy hours uh, inside our companies with our friends on the weekend, uh, with family, just as a way to stay connected in, in these times. And I think all of the folks that I've been working with are doing some of those same things. To an extent, I think just maintaining some of the rituals of daily life, the normal weekly meetings that we have, sticking to a work schedule where you can. Those all are ways of, of coping. I am finding, I mean, though, as, as we've gotten to this three- or four-week point, that people are starting to admit that they're, they're coming up short sometimes, either with the family that they're socially distancing with or with sometimes people on your team. That Some of the tensions that we'd normally uh, be able to let out don't have some of those natural outlets. And I think people are trying to find new ways to cope. I've seen people adopting new exercise routines. Um, we've got some, some virtual yoga classes going on uh, within uh, our company. And I've seen other people uh, adapt by reaching out of their normal networks and particularly outside of their company networks to their larger networks to get some help and have some additional perspective. I think the most important thing is keeping an eye on yourself and taking that look out to find other people that you can talk to and share with. Um, Those good friends that we all have that you can share some of the, I'll say, pain of this uh, situation with becomes a really important outlet for people right now. And then taking time for yourself, is always, is an important part of our
1: mental health. Absolutely. Caroline? You
2: know, I think that Todd is absolutely right. The first person that any of us needs to attend to when it comes to mental health is ourselves. I'll share a couple things I've found myself doing actually to try and both boost my immunity as well as reduce my stress and anxiety is I normally don't work out and I've been working out and it's super funny because I do it specifically for stress reduction and I find out that it's working. Um, I've also actually been eating a lot more vegetables because I'm trying to boost my immunity. Um, So those are a couple things that I'm personally doing. Um, What I've also observed is that in this scenario where we're sort of forced to be away from each other, I actually think people are craving connection and community. So information security is a field where we're actually used to seeing each other in person pretty frequently. We're a very sort of physical events type of networking community, um, and I've seen those go virtual. I've received so many text messages and emails from folks who, you know, I talk to a lot, but maybe they're not always asking me, you know, how is my family and how is our health and how are we coping? That sort of thing is is really nice to see. There's one in particular. There's a colleague of ours uh, in the information security community who was diagnosed with COVID 19 and who spent some time in the ICU. Uh, this is a person who's located near the Seattle region, and I found out through a mutual friend. um, And somebody had put together a virtual kudo board uh, for this person so that, you know, he wasn't necessarily being bombarded with text messages or LinkedIn messages, but that there was, one link that he could go to uh and see photos that people would post and and jokes and and well wishes um and all of these things you know and then just the other day i actually was so so happy uh to receive an email from him saying that you know he's out of the icu uh he can't believe that just a week ago he had been in a medically induced coma and on a ventilator um, so it's it's going to be a long road to recovery, but thankfully, he seems to be past the worst of it. Uh, and he actually said in his message to everyone who had written him something on his kudos board uh, that, you know, in the information security community, you know, we're so often we're wrapping our minds around like this technical aspect and that policy and this standard. And and really, at the end of the day, there's a lot to be said for the human and for the community. Um, And so while it's very difficult uh, to see a member of our community sort of upfront and close and personal uh, be affected in such a devastating way, um, it's also a really, really beautiful reminder of what matters.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much for sharing that. What a great story and I'm so glad to hear that he's better. So I have another question for each of you. Caroline, let's start with you. Do you have any prevention and recovery tips or tricks or hacks that would be especially helpful for those who are required to work from home now? You know,
2: it's funny because I was talking with a colleague the other day and we were sort of joking about the possibility that, you know, someone's rebellious teenager might get mad at mom or dad and go and, you know, go onto their laptop and and do whatever they will do you know if you're upset at someone um whether that's you know not only access information but maybe post information uh and so i think some of the working from home basics absolutely apply things like if you're not at your machine make sure to lock your screen Uh, if you are setting up your home wi-fi network make sure that you're using wpa2 wep was found to be vulnerable in 2001 no one should ever use it you know maybe check your home wi-fi setup and make sure that you've chosen a strong password and this might actually be a time to consider doing something like using closed ssid broadcasting just so that People won't know about your Wi-Fi network as easily uh, as you know. Just kind of going to your home and just looking at their smartphone uh, to view the discoverable uh, wireless network. So those are just a couple of quick tips that I think you know. They always apply when working from home, or frankly, when you're working anywhere that's not in the office. Even when you are working in the office, it's a good idea to lock your screen. Um, but yeah, those are a couple. Those are a couple things that came to mind.
0: This is Todd, I I agree, it is really important to um, remember that while the family is generally loving and trusted, um, some weird things can happen in this kind of time. And so the basic tips that Caroline presented are really good. I I would add a couple more things to think about here. If your company isn't doing some things to make sure your machine is, is safe there, now might be a good time to think about what you can do within your corporate policy to make sure that the information on your machine is available to you if your machine dies. Uh, I woke up this morning with no power in the house. Um, that went on for several hours, and my power has actually gone up and down a couple of times during the day today. Thinking about how you would operate without power, making sure that some of your devices are charged and just kind of being aware of how the weather might impact your access is one important thing to think about. It's also a good time to think about some of the basics of security for your home network and home computers. Uh, And I'm thinking here of things like going ahead and making some backups. We talked earlier about uh, how the bad guys are using COVID-19 and thinking about this as a time to attack and, to create a sense of urgency to respond to various kinds of scams. That means ransomware is gonna be out there. It means other malware is gonna be out there. It's a good time to think about getting an offline backup and updating your offline backup. It's a good time to think about turning on multi-factor authentication for your personal accounts. Depending on how you like to manage passwords, it may be a good time to change a few passwords, make them longer, stronger, And just generally be aware of the the security practices that you have at home, because you're going to be doing a lot more on those home systems. It's a good time to make sure that you're protected, that you have uh, a strong antivirus capability, that you have the security that's important to protect your bank accounts and the other things that you do online.
1: Todd and Caroline, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you both so much. Do either of you have any parting words for the listeners before we wrap up?
2: I have two things that I think are really interesting to think about, Um, and they both kind of fall under this idea that right now things are super weird and they're not going back to normal not only anytime soon, but probably ever. I expect actually that there are some things that we're gonna carry forward with us. Um, A good friend of mine posted on a Moms in Tech group on social media the other day, and she said, you know, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and since I've been working from home, I've been able to spend two and a half hours with my children every day, And I don't want to give that back up, you know, if things go back to normal. So I think there is actually going to be this shift for office-first organizations to shift toward remote-first. And I think that there are going to be some lasting effects of that. The other, which I'll put out as kind of a, A thought-provoking question and also a bit of a call to action for our security leaders is that as the world navigates how to manage this pandemic, I think we're going to see some really interesting conversations continue to evolve about privacy and data. And we as security professionals, you know, we often find ourselves in a situation where we're trying to balance tradeoffs between, you know, public good, social good, and privacy. But I do think that privacy is going to take a hit, and I think there's an opportunity for us to Stand up for privacy and ensure that you know folks have uh, a right to privacy that's not completely being overridden uh, in the name of social good.
1: Excellent, Todd. Did you have anything you wanted to share?
0: Yeah, Carolyn's always fun to talk to because of some of the thought-provoking things that she says here. On the society front, I'm excited by what we're calling temporary raises for the folks that stock the shelves of our supermarkets, Um, a lot of the things that we've thought of as maybe not being that important that we're realizing are really important to society. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we see some of those things stick long-term, not just for the professionals, uh, I'll say the white-collar folks among us who do get to enjoy working remotely, but I hope that more people can enjoy some of the benefits of of these higher wages, um, the health benefits, and some of the other things that we're seeing take hold here. Um, It's important for our society and for the global society. To have some more even distribution of benefits and and i just think that's really nice to see and i hope that some of that sticks around the privacy debates right now around all of the data collection and particularly around this idea of contact tracking it is really fascinating there's a number of good articles and, and places that are Putting out information about how Apple and Google in particular are thinking about protecting privacy while at the same time helping you know when you might have come into contact with somebody who was tested positive for, for COVID. That kind of thinking is fantastic and I, like Caroline, I hope that we continue to think about privacy in, in more interesting and more refined ways as we go forward. Um, I also think maybe to some extent that the advertising on computers is going to get overwhelmed in an interesting and different way with all of us working from home. The kinds of conflated input that they're getting about what I'm interested in, what my wife, what my kids are interested in um, is going to look very different six weeks, a month, two months from now than it looked like six months ago. They're going to be forced to do some things just to better get a handle on what's going on, but I I hope maybe they also start to change some things to be less intrusive in our lives and think about that differently. The last thing I'll offer is something completely different. A lot of us in information security, have done some programming, started in programming, want to do some programming. And we want the same thing for our kids. And and when we've got older kids, and I'll say teenagers, um, obviously into college, Python, Java, the modern languages are are all very good. But when you start thinking about the younger kids, a lot of people haven't heard about this. MIT several years ago created a programming language called Scratch, spelled just Mm -hmm. like you think of a cat scratching you, uh, scratch.mit.edu. And Scratch has over 50 million projects that you can look at, download, look at the programming. There's open community. Um, It's a programming language that you can teach to first graders, maybe younger and it starts introducing people and and kids especially to the world of programming and programming concepts, to DevOps kinds of concepts, to open source communities. It's a really fantastic way to get kids started young, Um, and I just think it's something very different from the other things that you might be hearing on security podcasts. So I wanted to remind people about Scratch and Something fun that you can do as a family with some younger kids.
1: Yeah, the Scratch Junior app. My kids love it.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, phenomenal. I yeah.
1: am going to
2: introduce yeah. this to my five year old immediately after this call. <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah. I didn't know about this. Thank you so much.
1: And, you know, we covered a lot of topics, and I do want our listeners to know that we're continuing to cover a lot of topics and deliver as much educational content as we can. And I love that you both brought up privacy. We've got a great round table discussion coming up as a webcast, April 27th. So listeners, continue to visit the website. We've got a lot of podcasts and webcasts, much more than usual, from all of these wonderful thought leaders who are willing to give their time to help us all overcome these challenges and grow and evolve with the time. So again, Caroline and Todd, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Casey.
2: My pleasure. It's always so much fun to talk with both of you.